Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of July 2016. Now this is a continuation of, it's actually part four of a severe study of Pandora's dreams may preserve sanity from cabal schemes. And it's really about constant conflict and perception management uh, continuation to show you how we're really living through a life of continuous change. It's planned in advance by those who own you and own everything else. It's really just the way it is. And they have all the think tanks to make sure they get what they want. They have it all planned out, of course. And uh, the whole secret of power is never to allow anything to happen down the road in the future to happen that you haven't already predetermined must happen. Uh, In other words, nothing untoward must happen. It's not within your planning. And they're always, always planning for the future to make sure that those in power who have the power, and and when I say in power, I mean those who are above politics and and who own the politicians, basically, uh, will keep uh, running the power through their families and so on. That's how it's done. Power never gives itself away. It never does that. It's, it's, uh, it just doesn't happen. You know, power has nothing to do with Christianity or anything like that. You know, uh, power is just for power's sake. And those in charge in this day and age, of course, for a long time now, have used all of the sciences uh, on the public to keep the public living in a different reality from the one the elite themselves live in, of course. They give you a reality to make you fearful of living at times, of what might happen. As I say, not a generation has gone by for a long, 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 long time that it hasn't had threats or real economic crashes planned, of course, and been plundered of all their savings, etc. And uh, Or they've had wars to go out and fight and get called up. Uh, that you must go and fight for, things like that. Uh, You're always uh, in conflict, basically. Within yourself, you're fearful. And and most folk take the simple explanations that are given to them. Uh, No justice is ever really done. We, We know that. Plato talked about it too. It can only be the appearance of justice. We don't even get much of that these days. But um, but people are, are constantly told through propaganda and a thousand sources that regardless of the country they're living in, it's the best country in the world. And Bertrand Russell said that too back in the 50s and 60s when he worked for the global elite and some of the, the, the international think tanks of the day that created the culture that we're living in at, at the present time including the changes we've been going through and still some may come yet. He was part of that big setting up of the system. But he said that, yeah, we'd all believe no matter where we lived, we're in the best country in the world uh, with the best healthcare systems and the best, 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 because government will constantly tell you uh, that over and over and over, and you'll believe it. And it's quite simple, isn't it, to, to manage perception. Uh, it really is so simple. It really, truly is so simple to manage perception. And it's true enough in this age of constant conflict, where uh, the, the war is brewing, there's, there's wars being stirred up, um, right down to probably even the dates when different ones will start, uh, small wars, bigger wars, and so on, and also the present wars that have been had, had in the go for years and years and years, which we've been involved in across the Middle East. We forget that Gulf War One, in fact, um, was started immediately, pretty well, immediately after Russia supposedly threw its hands up 
regarding communism, and uh, and uh, just became Western. Uh, it, it, literally a year later, uh, the U.S. was bombing Baghdad in Gulf War One. So it's never really stopped. It's never really stopped. And since two thousand and one, a generation has been grown up that thinks it's quite normal to have no privacy. And, and that you're being looked after and taken care of by unknown agencies, unseen faces and so on, uh, that manage your lives and your privacy and, and what you're up to and all the rest of it, and that you can't have any kind of privacy if you want safety. Uh, it's, it's been instilled in them. These were obstacles in times gone by, but they've managed to use uh, the threat of war or annihilation to take the rights of people and make them accept it quite happily. Most of them do quite happily, especially the young ones. Now, what do you think of wars and what's the purpose of war? War, technically, is an extension of the suppression of people abroad that you want to conquer in order to plunder them by the rulers who already have plundered you, do, you at home and become the rulers, basically, kings, queens, nobility, that kind of thing, you see. So it's an extension of the same technique, only this time they convince you that who have had some peace at home, you aren't getting plundered quite as much, maybe, uh, by your rulers. They convince you that now they're there to protect you, you see. So other people are going to protect you, and those who abuse you are also going to protect you. And they'll keep telling you that it's terrible, it's more, t- it's more terrible in that country over yonder. And they'll give you lots and lots of news stories about countries in little, little places, in fact, across the world. Uh, where uh, they might still be even putting people in the pot, you know, stuff like that, for food. And, and, and you oh my God, I wouldn't want that, etc., etc. It's not awful. It's so nice here. Uh, that kind of thing, you see. And, and they used to, Latin America for a long time the same kind of way, by saying, oh, it's always so, so unstable. But they didn't tell you that the instability was being cooked up by their two opposing forces that really are, all, are working for the same boss. The left wing and the right wing, you see. That's how you get the conflict going. And so you have the so-called rebels being financed by the same group at the top under the pretense of creating a utopia for the general public, which never materialises. And it does materialise for those who end up ruling it, but not for the public. They have a horror show, of course. And then they have the right wing that come in and brutally uh, get back all the left wingers uh, that upset their regime for a little while. It's, it's, but they kept, it was called coming from the U.S. for a long, long time, the School of the Americas, who trained uh, the different uh, soldiers, special forces and that from Latin America and sent them back again so, to, to do their, their stuff. There's a lot, of, a lot of materials out there on it and so on. But that's how they kept that whole, the whole place under control, you see, for a long time. And it's the same across the world as well. You cannot, maybe in in some sense, the ruler is knowing that if it becomes too complacent at home, you see, and you do have some, a long period of stability at home, people tend to get more uppity. They think, at home that is. They think, well, you know, we, we should have more rights than we've got already. And so on and so on and so on. And it's easy to stir that kind of thing up as well. And you, you create groups that never existed before. In fact, nobody would have dreamed of before. Even the ones who eventually join it. 
and you and, they, and you get them to demand more money for their own group, etc. And then you use them against other groups. And again, this is constant conflict. This is how you do it, folks. It doesn't happen by itself. Nothing exists that's not authorized from the top to even start to exist. That's the way it's always been. <laughs> Nothing gets off the ground in the grassroots unless it's completely authorized by those who already rule. You can't start up a poetry club in a library without wanting to know the members. And what, what kind of poetry are they, are they prattling on about? Is it revolutionary poetry, for instance? If it is revolutionary poetry, they might give you a grant. Because that's what we've done for the last 60, 70 years in the West. They'll get grants from your tax money, from the taxman. That's your government, and they'll get grants as well from the big foundations that run it. So remember, nothing is ever, ever as it is seen at face value. Nothing out there really is. Any group that is formed, any group at all, uh, is either formed to, to have a particular purpose, which is public, and the followers won't even understand. And it will be used by those who rule. And all all these existence institutions uh, that were separate to an extent, in in some extent that is, um, are are eventually taken over too for the same system. It might take them a hundred years to to take over a big institution. Uh, It didn't take them too long to take over the the church institutions, for instance, for their own purposes. And we saw that repeated again when George Bush Jr. was in. And there's many articles, I read them on the air myself, uh, in the news about uh, uh, the top evangelicals, etc. And, and ministers being pulled in and offered big sums of money if they get their congregations on board with, with Bush Jr.'s um, PNAC group uh, for war, you know, in the Middle East and so on. And it worked awfully well. It's sad, that, isn't it? See, if you join any group, don't, don't leave your brain outside the door when you go in there. Don't do it for it. If you do that, well, sure, if you don't want to use your own brain, if you want someone else to use it and benefit from it, fine, on you go. Because every group is going to be used. And if not today, tomorrow. But it will be used. Definitely. It doesn't really matter. What kind of thing you set up, or club you create, or even commune, in fact, you'll have conflict within it. It's human nature for dominance, you see. And I've, I've studied quite a bit on the communes, etc., because there's a whole movement behind the creation of them, especially in the U.S., and um, <laughs> uh, all tied in with the folk music back then, and then the early electrical music as well, all tied in together with the hippie movement and all that kind of stuff, where it was going to be peace and love and, and everybody would live in harmony, etc., etc., except in natural communes where, yeah, they would share this and share that and they'd share each other's bodies and share the women and all that, and they'd even share their penicillin. But the thing is, they, they always had strife from someone who eventually would know how to get dis, dis, well, disaffection, basically, started amongst the group. The psychopath. A psychopath knows how to manipulate one or two or, or more people and get them to 
Then he'd actually do the complaining and the bitching with another group inside the same group. And then they step forward eventually as a solution and they become the boss. That's how they do things. Uh, they don't like to participate in the fighting themselves. They like everyone else to do the fighting for them. And that's how they get really up. The clever ones, that is, get really up to the top. They smell which way the wind is going. But even in the smallest commune, that same uh, dynamic will take place. So it doesn't matter what you set up. Someone wants to be the boss, you see. There's always someone that thinks they're more important than you. Always, in fact, isn't it? It's strange that, isn't it? And again, you'll find it more so in, in certain uh, different, even ethnic groups, north, south, the whole bit, because of the different temperatures and how the, the, the society evolved. And there's different groups. Some are way more ethnocentric than others in the hotter climates. And the ones in the colder climates tend to be more scattered. And even individually, they like their privacy and all the rest of it more so uh, than the, the natural group type of thing in the hotter climates. That's really how it was. So we've all developed differently. And now we're all getting told we must all live together, you see. And... And accept whoever puts himself in charge of us, basically, to rule us. Be it someone in your nation or, or some other power in some other nation that rules the world. That's how it's being presented, such as the EU or a world parliament and things like that. Very old idea by those who already had all the countries fighting each other in the 1800s and even earlier, in fact. Because the whole idea of a British empire is very old. It goes way back, in fact. I think Francis Bacon was the first guy to actually coin the term. He called it Brightish, B-R-Y, you see. But it's a Brightish empire. He proposed that that could be a, a role for Britain to spread a system across the world, you see, standardization. And that was picked up by Cecil Rhodes, but it was also picked up by Lord Alfred Milner and even others before them. So there's definitely a subterranean group moving underneath the current, you might say, uh, to get all this established and using uh, empiricism to to do so, the colonial period and all that. Then the U.S. took it over, of course, as the policemen of the world, and uh, they also changed policies in different countries because the countries take so many grants and bribes, basically, to to the elites, that uh, and all, every break comes with a demand. You must start behaving this way or that way, whatever it happens to be, or give us more of your resources, etc. Or let us start to dictate your foreign policy and so on. Or there's no money. Uh, it's quite simple. Money is such an incredibly um, corrupting factor in everything, isn't it? Well, that's what you must always do. Uh, that's what you must always do is follow the money. It's, it's quite simple. Always follow the money. Who rules the world? Those that borrow the money, like governmental leaders, or the guys that lend the cash to them. And it's not even cash as we know it anymore. It's numbers, isn't it? So, um, everyone basically has to kowtow to the big money boys. The big cabal at the top. That's how it works. But as I say, you cannot possibly even try to get away from it. It'd be nice to get away from it all, wouldn't it? Just escape from it all and go and live in the wild because if you went with anybody else, conflict would set in eventually. Or the cabin fever would develop and folk would start killing each other. 
It's the way it goes in, in, in society. There's a natural, natural need for some kind of order in all societies, all peoples. And some are better at governing themselves than others in, within their own system or tribal system, like some of the American Indians had uh, real democratic systems, you know, real democratic, everybody got a say in everything, uh, no one could just put a vote through for themselves, and that was it, everybody had to follow, everybody got a say, everybody got a say, once you get bigger and bigger, of course, you just can't get that, unless you've got t- some intercom system where you can all get involved, but that didn't exist back then, you see. But some tribal chiefs were elected for a set period, and that was it. They were, they, they were, somebody else had to take over. They didn't like this hereditary system so much that did exist in some tribes, but not in them all. So you got to understand that, that nothing ever is a complete solution to getting away from anything, because the same system will follow you across the planet, even if you're going to the wilderness. Especially today. I mean, they've got satellites watching everything you do. You know? And don't think they're not. <laughs> don't think that, 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 that um, it's just the internet and, and, your, and your, all your electronic mail and your voice and all the rest of it that they're monitoring. And believe you me, it's, it's, it's the total content. Don't believe this nonsense. It's the, the, the gross thing. You know? No, it's a total content of what you've ever said, done, printed, whatever. It's all out there for them. It's, space is no problem for them as far as hard drives go, believe you me. So they have satellites do the same thing, constantly monitoring every, every part of the planet. And I mean little parts of it too. Little parts. I mentioned it before that a couple of years ago, I think it was or a year ago, someone not too far had a little fire on his property and it wasn't huge. You see, and he had all the gear there to deal with it, and they got it out. He you know, two or three pals got it out, and um, the fire engine turned up. This is in the country, and uh, they said, well, "Who phoned you?" They didn't think there was any need for it, but because the fire was already out when they arrived, who phoned you? He says, "Well, it was noticed on satellite. This small little—I don't know how, how wide it was, but it wasn't but wide at all. It was seen on satellite." So don't think for a minute that uh, that you can even, unless you can maybe get into some <laughs> underground system somewhere, uh, uh, like the leech do. Uh, they have lots of them just on standby in case they ever need them across the planet. Uh, but so don't think you're just going to some uh, little thing and, and escape because these these guys are everywhere with their systems everywhere. It's interesting too. I mean, the, the guys in Vietnam will tell you that uh, the planes used to literally drop all these little dart things. They were microphones in the jungle. And they could put some in trees as well, but they could drop them from aircraft. And anybody passing, it would would get uh, the sounds of them passing. You'd hear them talking, what language it was, that kind of thing too. George Orwell had it in 1984, you know. Even in the the basically... uh, the private woods and so on that he and Julia, or that Winston and Julia met, there'd be microphones in the trees, things like that. Microphones everywhere. Now it's video cameras and microphones. And they're so tiny. The combination are so tiny. Uh, and the and transmission power is so incredible for, for distance that it's, it's just, and they're cheap to make. So I don't think for a minute that, uh, and of course the, the thing is too, Hollywood keeps churning out all the different escape movies. 
you know, because we, so we get escaped out of space or things like that. Well, I've been looking for a, a used uh, flying saucer for for years. I can't find one anywhere. I really just can't find one. And all these ones that claim I've been smashed and damaged and fallen out of the sky, I can't get one of them either. I mean, I'd try and fix it up and get out of here, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? But it doesn't happen. So in other words, you get more and more fantasy in which to escape with the more crisis and pressure and fear that's put upon you. It all works together. It's one seamless system. All thought out. Big panels discuss it all. Even right down to what kind of bunch of movies to churn out for the next two or three years according to the fear level you have. Can you all hack it? Can you handle it, in other words? Uh, can you handle the fear? Or, do, or is it getting to that edge where folk are breaking down and going nuts or just cracking up? Or, and so they should, should they churn out more escape movies for you and things like that? Everything's catered to. Everything. I'm not kidding you. The professional teams... Constantly sussing you out, and some universities are giving all this data to MIT especially to work on uh, with their emails and so on. Yeah, the folk are beginning to get a bit kind of nervous and agitated and kind of crazy at times and cracking up. It's time to give them more and more fantasy, something that will, and sure enough, they'll churn out another series of fantasy that, that could be a, a serial series that will last for weeks or months or whatever. And just keep diverting the public, give them an escape even though it's not even real. Because it does have an effect on them. It does. So, as I say, we're really perfectly well managed. And tonight I want to mention the fact of the, the military think tanks and how they are taught to manage conflicts and future conflicts and so on. And you'll find that the same tactics of psychological warfare which are used upon their possible future enemies will be, are also being used on you all the time. Quite, quite obvious when you understand it. Here, for instance, is a, an article from the, the U.S. military, the, and this is about the, uh, their, their vision for the future. This is from uh, a year ago, and this article says, um, over the past year, the Army has refined its vision its operating concept and its strategy for comprehensive change. And here's how they all fit together. This is Force 2025 and beyond, you see. And since the velocity of instability continues to increase worldwide. Now remember that the velocity of instability continues to increase worldwide. The instability, remember, number one, is a technique you use to, before you get the actual physical wars off and going. You use uh, soft power, that's what they mean by their color revolutions or NGOs that they finance to agitate and get internal rebellions going, things like that. Then they use the hard power later, you see. Always remember that. I've given many talks in the past about it. Go into cuttingthroughmatrix.com and go into the archive section and you'll find countless talks and in-depth stuff on all this over the years. It says ISIL, now they use ISIL here just to get you confused again, anti-terrorism in Iraq, Syria and Yemen, anarchy and extremism in North Africa, Russian annexation of Crimea and the use of unconventional land forces in Ukraine. So already you see for the reader and the general public, they're terrifying the life out of you, or they're trying to, you see. You really need all these, 
to give more tax money for more weapons and military and all that because of all these scary scenarios, you see. It says, um, provocation with North Korea and various emergencies requiring complex humanitarian assistance and disaster relief efforts. Global instability, coupled with the reduction in military capabilities of many of our allies, has emboldened potential adversaries and magnified the risk to the U.S. interests around the world. It's therefore imperative, now more than ever, to field a ready and modern army that is innovative and adaptive and that remains the bedrock of the Joint uh, A-Force. The army is meeting this challenge to change itself and improve land power capabilities through a strategy called Force 2025 and beyond. It's our method to prepare the army for the complexities of the global security environment now and in the future and so on. In May, the Army released its updated Army vision called Strategic Advantage in a Complex World. And I'll put these links up tonight too, if you want to get the PDS from the military and all the rest of it. So it's, and most folk don't read them, by the way, because they can't be bothered. They just want someone to tell them. <laughs> Sum up for me, you know, condense all. Just give me it in one sentence, no more than ten words. That, that, people actually, that's how they are now. They have no time for anything, especially thinking. But it says here... Uh, to be the intellectual foundation for his efforts to prevent conflict, shape security and environment, and win wars. That followed the October release of the new army operating concept called Win in a Complex World, which discusses how warfighting capabilities combine to fulfill larger missions. That is how future army forces, as part of joint inter-organizational remember it's inter-organizational and multinational efforts, will operate to accomplish campaign objectives and protect U.S. national interests. Now, why use multinational uh, efforts and so on to, to, to protect U.S. national interests? When really the U.S. is the battering ram across the planet for plunder, and has been for a while, they took over from Britain. This is in turn shapes and comprehensive effort necessary to achieve the capabilities envisioned in the Army operating concept. Force 2025 and beyond supports decisions at every step from concept and capability development to resource investments and fielding. It offers a framework based on the Army vision and the Army operating concept to evaluate ideas for force development and assumptions on which they're based. It allows Army and civilian leaders alike to properly invest resources in order to adapt, evolve and innovate. And it synchronizes processes, products and concepts and translates them into warfighting capabilities, you see. And it goes on and on and on about all the, the different um, evolutionary approaches to develop land power concepts. This is all marketing strip terminology they're using and so on. Those big, big marketing companies are work full-time for the military too, remember. This is an integrated along across doctrine, organizations, training, material, development, leadership and education, personnel facilities, and then they have uh, all this abbreviated to D-O-T-M-L-P-F. Like, dot no Well, you say it. You try and say it. Look, read this for yourself. Among his organization initiatives are the Army War Fighting Challenges, a set of enduring first-order problems whose solutions will improve current and future force 
combat effectiveness. These provide an analytical framework to integrate efforts across warfighting functions and allow collaboration with key stakeholders in learning activities, modernization, and future force design. I hope none of these marketer characters with all this terminology, who create all this term, are, are not sitting there, you know, in charge of armies. For good. Can you imagine trying to get a straight you know, order out with them? Can you imagine it's some street that everyone would understand? <laughs> Come on. But that's how you get ahead now in all these things. Is, is see, I'm really in psychological operations, and uh, here's some really fancy, uh, very confusing terminology that only the, the super-initiated uh, you know, and intelligent will understand. And, uh, and that's, that's the same with all doctrines, isn't it, really? That's how, I mean, the first thing you do in medicine is create terminology that no one else understands. That, that, then, then you're special, you see. If they all understand it, you're not quite as special. Another is the Force 2025 maneuvers, which execute the important learning activities that help leaders integrate future capabilities and develop interim solutions to warfighting challenges. They talk about logistics, um, demand reduction, and the integration of robotics and autonomy enabled systems, and leader, soldier, and team optimization. All you have to do if you really want to get ahead, honestly, even for the guy at the bottom, is learn this terminology and prowl off. Make sure there's an officer listening somewhere. And then they're going about Army Warfighting Assessment, which replaces one of the two network integration evaluations. And it says, over the next five years, the Army will focus on adapting while maintaining and improving upon current functionality. So many words to say nothing, eh? But except the, the word that keeps popping up is adaptive, adaptive, adaptive. We're always adapting, you see. Interorganizational, multinational teams and all the rest of it all working together. Ever evolving <laughs> global security environment. And um, even went to cyberspace, war, the whole, all that kind of stuff. Yada, yada, yada. Yad. And uh, I don't know why they bother even printing this stuff, except it's to show off their terminology, maybe. But. I'll put up tonight as well some of the PDFs to do with all of this kind of stuff and see what you think of them. One is uh, the Army Vision, Strategic Advantage in a Complex World, U.S. Army. And uh, it's, 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 more, it's more readable, put it that way. And I love it, again, is also to hopefully, they hope, detracts people into the military. Always, that's always, there's nice glossy pictures and things. Everything's really lovely, and uh, and they don't have any dead bodies anywhere. So it's quite quite interesting. You know, you two can be a man and be a somebody. Well, uh, you, you know, your country has very little jobs left for the working class. So join the military and be somebody and get some respect, because no one in the system, and everyone's taught that, no one's taught to have any respect for someone that isn't working. Isn't that wonderful? So the more unemployed they get, the more people will join the military. You can guarantee then, if you're going to keep a depression going, which it really is a depression for, say, 30, 40 years, you can get a lot of wars accomplished in 30 or 40 years. Britain did it all the time. Until now, there's there's a constant depression, really. In many ways, it's psychological too. Complete depression has been for a long, long time. So... As I say, I'll put this up and, and let you read it. But yeah, lots of nice pictures and all that. And, and you see guys sitting with uh, behind their all their technology consoles and yada, yada, yada. And um, 
Then the PR ones with the little native boys in different countries. And, you know, the usual stuff, kind of handing out chocolates and all that old stuff. Remember the old stuff? But that's that's what you get, you see. You, you get that kind of stuff all the time, don't you? You really do. And also when I put up NATO Summit Guide Warsaw 2016. And uh, it's quite interesting too. There's a lot in it that you'll have to go through, no doubt. Because... Um, and again, they know too that most folk won't even bother reading this stuff because it is it. This is all your life you're wasting away. And again, when you get ninety odd percent in the words, it's just superfluous. Why can't they just sum it up in a small thing? You see, well, because these big think tanks and so on are getting paid an awful lot of money to write this this stuff. That's why everything you create ends up with a panel and a, a like a little bureaucracy or even a little government on at the top, and they want big big money. Yeah. Anyway, and this article here says the NRF is based on a rotational system where allied nations commit land, air, maritime, or special operations forces units for a period of 12 months. It's open to partner countries once approved by the North Atlantic Council, you see, which runs NATO. It says uh, participation in the NRF is preceded by national Preparation followed by training with other participants in a multinational force. As units rotate through the NRF, the associated high standards concepts and technologies are gradually spread throughout the alliance, thereby fulfilling one of the key purposes of the NATO response force, the further transformation of allied forces. Operational command of the NRF alternates between allied joint forces commands in Brunsum, uh, the Netherlands and Naples, Italy. JFC Brunson has command of the NRF for 2016. I mean, remember, to NATO is a North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Remember that. That was created under the, U- the United Nations. And the United Nations also created the Warsaw Pact countries with their treaties and, and so on. So it ran both sides of it. The, the UN ran both sides of the Cold War. For those who don't quite know that. <laughs> That's not clever, eh? And uh, it wasn't just a referee. They ran both sides of it. In fact, during the whole Cold War, it was always a Russian officer who was in, put in charge um, uh, for, for the, uh, the United Nations for their military strategies. Always. That was part of the treaty. Uh, it's quite something. Anyway, it says here that um, it's a powerful package and so on. Lots of PR words in here and terminology and so on. And uh, high readiness joint task forces and etc., uh, etc. Et but uh, as I say, this is quite a, 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 something you have to really plough through for yourselves. They go through about um, how they protected the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece, were deployed to support the Afghan uh, president elections, uh, presidential elections September the same year. Uh, it's been used in disaster relief. Now remember NATO too, never mind uh, this NRF, NATO uh, was involved in bombing Libya. And they gave the French the first, uh, you know, the, the glory of, uh, you know, dropping the bombs on the people. So uh, what was the North Atlantic Treaty Organization that was meant solely to protect the countries involved against the Soviet countries during the Cold War. What are they doing over uh, in North Africa, bombing uh, Libya and places like that? 
It's never been answered. In other words, they broke their own laws and so on. But then laws at the top are always, uh, always broken. Always broken. They'll never admit they're doing it. Even when they're doing it, but never admit it. They just go ahead and do it, you know. And we sit back not knowing in our, our utter ignorance to, that they're breaking laws and rules and so on. In fact, we don't even ask why they're even bombing a country like that. Most folk don't. It's not, it's not an awful shame. We don't even ask who they're bombing and why. You know, who are they bombing now? East Asia, West Asia. Who, who is it? <laughs> We're all trained, you see. We're trained to sit back and, and, and just shut off from, from all the wars that they're starting and altering and shaping and, and say nothing, say nothing. Just go into your entertainment and, and escape, you know. Entertainment, you see. But don't interfere uh, with what your country's up to. You really, when you think about it, I mean, let's be honest, democracy is a joke. And the previous uh, PDF I read, was the last week before, they talked about that. Actually, that was in the Parameters magazine. And constant conflict, and how the whole big thing would be, you know, how they'd be, they'd be openly discussed now. And, the, and now, in the years to come, the, this whole idea of democracy was just a joke and a, a useful tool for those who rule. And it's never been more true, uh, never been more true as it is today. Never, ever. But we're trained. Here's a little thing. Bernays, Ed Bernays, you know, the, the guy who didn't invent this whole idea of uh, supermarketing uh, and advertising and how to... He, he didn't invent that himself. There, there was a whole team uh, pre-existing long before he came along in the same kind of merchant banking lineage who always studied the peoples, you see. How do you alter the people's behavior? How do you make them buy your products, for instance. And and they always knew, using basic study of humanity, just watching, just watching humanity down through centuries and centuries and merchandising. You can always sell clothing to the women, you see. Always. And you can always update or change the style of the clothing to women. And they're the first to go along with it and want it and want whatever you no matter what it is if you if you can market it properly with the proper models they'll want it they'll wear it no matter how ridiculous it even looks and in other words you have the, you have a natural sexual drive folks natural sexual drive use it use that to exploit the people to spend money and buy your products and they put that, that whole idea into everything. The car, they go ads there with the car. And you see the woman in the car from 1940s or 50s saying, oh my goodness, you know. And the guy, the salesman saying, yes, and, and the whole length of the car is two or three inches bigger than last year's model. That's all out there, folks. I'm not making it up. And this is all Bernays' idea. Use the subconscious forces that are always at work in people's minds and that drive them, all these drives, use them against the people themselves, exploit them and wring the money out of them, you see. And he also said too, Ed Bernays, who, remember he worked for governments as well. He even, as a young man, was sent off as one of the top fellows in the League of Nations with President Wilson. Strange honor I get, isn't it? As a very young guy, early 20s. 
<laughs> there are connections, folks, and there are certain things existing long before that. But, but, Bernays, one of the greatest things when you study his works, said, rather than improve your product, because you see, at one time, many companies would sell their products on their name. They, they would, it was word of mouth, and believe you me, if you made a duff or rotten product, uh, the word would get around very quickly to people, word of mouth, and they stopped buying your product. So the idea was the marketer, you know, the companies would go to them and say, well, how, how can we uh, make cheaper made products but get more money for them? Uh, and, boy, well, it's quite simple. You, through marketing, massive marketing, you can overcome the obstacles because lies will, will, will prevail over the truth, you see. This constant lies, constant lies. Oh, much better, lighter, blah, blah. Uh, and give a, a nice, a better, shinier coat of paint or something. But the product itself is cheaper to make, cheaper products to, to put together, and it'll fall apart in a year or two, like we have today. That's what it will have today. Bernays said, rather than improve your products according to the customer's demands, change Change the habits of your customer. Change their behavior to suit your product. Oh, wow, what a winner that has been. Because it's across the board, folks. The folk today buy something, even vacuum cleaners, if it lasts them a year and a half to think, well, it's old now. And if it busts, you know, oh, it's old now. And they toss it out. But they say, wait a minute, this piece of recycled plastic garbage cost me XXX, you see. But nope, they've trained the whole public that. Disposable society. But we're disposable in so many ways. We dispose of our partners, we dispose of our, our parents, shove them in homes. Like, we, we dispose, 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 you see. We're totally ruled. Everything that was normal has been broken apart, conquered, and, and bust up. Yep. Now we're dysfunctional. Now we get constantly reprogrammed with what any new normal is, and we accept it, you see. Quite clever, eh? Well, that was all Bernays' teaching method. Bernays hated, according to his own, his own sister, I think it was. It was his sister or wife, but, but, but there's a documentary out there. And she says he hated the general public because it was just too easy to manipulate them. He had no respect for them. Now I'm just going to skip to... This one on, on uh, basically win in a complex world PDF for the military. And in the preface it says, from the commanding general, the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, one of our most important duties as Army professionals is to think clearly about the problem of future armed conflict. This is because our vision of the future must drive change to ensure that army forces are prepared to prevent conflict, shape the security environment, and win wars. The purpose of the army operating concept is to ask big questions, not focus on small answers. And it says, the concept for the first time focuses on all three levels of war, tactical, operational, and strategic. It says the environment the army will operate in is unknown. The enemy is unknown. The location is unknown. And the coalitions involved are unknown. The problem we're facing on, uh, on is how to win in a complex world. Well, that's a big thing. It's been for quite a few years now. The, like I think it was Cheney gave a speech on the, the known knowns and the unknown knowns and known unknowns and unknown known knowns. And, and on they went, like this, this long spiel, you know. 
and in other words, these think tanks are always they're always planning for the future. You see, for and let's be honest, to everyone's economics. Again, for the guys who rule your country uh, and own your country, for those who want more minerals, oil, whatever happens to be in different parts of the world. This is when occurs at the strategic level involves more than just firepower. It involves the application of all elements of national power. Complex is defined as an environment that is not only unknown but unknowable and constantly changing. The army cannot predict who it will fight, where it will fight, and with what coalition it will fight. To win the complex world, army forces must provide the joint force with multiple options, integrate with efforts of multiple partners, it sounds very promiscuous, isn't it? Operate across multiple domains and present our enemies and adversaries with multiple dilemmas. See, this is also psychological war. Now, when I'm reading this stuff, I hope you're understanding this technique through different think tanks, all connected together. I also use these strategies back home on you. <laughs> Present their enemies with ad- and adversaries with multiple dilemmas. Right? So here's multiple dilemmas. The key to a strategic win. This is through all the game theories that they're, they're using for military. And this is a military one, but as I say, it, it applies to you too. Because guys on this, this team here will also be part of the psychological warfare teams that are working on you at the moment back home. When, and this is in all countries, all use the same techniques. When is to present the enemy with multiple dilemmas. To compel enemy actions requires putting something of value to them at risk. Right? Now, you think about it too. We're going to protect you at home. But you, you can't have freedom. It's something you value. You know? can't have freedom. Right? Or if you want some privacy, stop using your cell phones. Well, pff, No. If I use a cell phone, uh, they only know everything I do every day, sort of thing. Etc., etc. It goes on and on and on. Army forces will allow joint force commanders to dictate the terms of operations and render enemies incapable of responding effectively. You see, that's the purpose of creating multiple dilemmas. I've given talks on this from psychological tests and evaluations I've done over many years before where the average person can't hold in their mind two, more than two to three really uh, dreadful problems that have to be resolved or worked on or whatever at the same time. They can't do it. Three things at the same time. They'll crack up if it's over three, you see. A lot of folk will crack up at two. So you, you, you do that with your enemies, and, and that makes them uh, literally, uh, gives them, it makes them incapable of giving, uh, of even making good decisions when you get them multiple crises, one after another at the same time or whatever. Or you're going to lose your job, possibly. Or you're going to get blown up in the streets by radical whatever, possibly. Or you're going to crash the economy, possibly. You see? On and on and on it goes until you're you're just like ah oh, ah oh, oh, you see then out comes Hollywood with all its um, its fantasy and its indoctrination because <laughs> they all work together. Uh, so it says here it says joint combined arms operations allows joint force commanders to operate consistent with the tenet of initiative, dictating the terms of operations and rendering the enemy incapable of responding. You can't respond when you're in shock, you see, from umpteen different possible threats at the same time. 
future. Forces operating as part of joint teams will conduct expeditionary maneuver through rapid deployment and transition to operations. Units possess ability to operate dispersed over wide areas because they're able to integrate intelligence and operations to develop situational understanding through action. While possessing the mobility to concentrate rapidly, future forces conduct operations consistent with the tenet of adaptability, uh, anticipating dangers and opportunities and adjusting operations to, to seize, retain and exploit the initiative. Additionally, army forces present the enemy with multiple dilemmas because they possess the simultaneity to overwhelm the enemy physically and psychologically. The depth to prevent enemy forces from recovering and the endurance to sustain operations. So, just getting so many uh, ultimate problems hitting them at the same time. Each one uh, could lead to a disaster or could be a disaster. And the rendered the useless, basically. You see? Well, you train your own psychological teams to keep throwing the stuff out there as, as, they're going, as their enemy is going under. And they go through multiple options, how to set the theater and shape security environments and so on. In other words, if you want to have conflict, you make sure you, you, you are in charge of all the... Po- everything's going to be discussed by your enemy, you put out there, and so it's all part of your terminology, part of your what you've envisaged and so on, and they must start to use your terminology and they can't think for themselves anymore. That's a secret of words, you see. It's a part of the secret of words. And... Uh, Multiple domains is another one too. Uh, multiple partners. Uh, American military power is joint power. How combatants and joint forces commanders combine land here, maritime space and cyberspace capabilities give the U.S. forces a competitive advantage over enemies and adversaries. Um, developing the future force and so on and so on. And then they go on to talk about... Uh, uh, more stuff in detail again too. I'll put these PDFs up for you to look at. The only nice little charts too. They love these little flow charts and little arrows pointing at things and all that. You know, it's really like that's how everyone works today, isn't it? Don't think for yourself. Get a flow chart. It's kind of like the movie Idiocracy when the guy goes into the hospital. You know, it's, that's where things are now, isn't it? It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. But folk can't think for themselves. Even trained professionals, they got to look at little arrows pointing at things. And, and often it's wrong, you see. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. So, uh, yeah, I'll put some of the nice charts up too. It's in the PDF. And uh, we're in a complex world logic chart. Wow. And uh, it's got all the, all the different generals' uh, names and so on uh, who was involved in this. And as I say, this is the, the, the short, abbreviated term for the whole thing is TRADOC, T R A D O C. Pamphlet 525-3-1 And uh, this is the stuff that's churned out all the time Now Britain does the same thing for the NATO countries so they're, Remember this, America's part of NATO too So they all use the same different thing Well, think tanks uh, uh, with slightly different spins Slightly different spins, very, very slightly uh, And there was a tailor-made maybe for that particular nation's psychology That's a bit all But it's all the same agenda, isn't it? It's rather sad when you look at all the different treaties we've had over the years and the wars they've created. 
many of the Americans, the early Americans, realized this too, that that's how Britain used its, its wars and its treaties. That's also what Napoleon talked about Britain and how um, perfidious it was. It would make treaties with one nation. This is how the, the meaning of balance of power. If they saw one nation rising up rather you know, powerfully, economically and so on, they would get the one next door to it and finance them, stir it up and get them to go to war with them. And with Britain's backing, through a treaty of course, uh, Britain would, would join this smaller country, back them financially and all that, and put them into debt and then rule them. But in the meantime, they'd also put the country that was growing it up to a, a bigger power, put them in, under by the cost of war. That's how they defeated them. That's what they mean by balance of power. And that's what the U.S. does today too. I mean, across the whole Middle East, they had nothing to do, remember, nothing to do with 9-11. And that was admitted during an inquiry with Bush Jr., Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. He's just a bad man, and his world's better off without him. That was his, that was his statement, very callous, and every law in the book had been broken, but nobody bothered, and it's just wipe out country after country, you see. But, of course, there's another reason that took out those countries, apart from grabbing all the oil, and we know what they are. Of course we know what they are. Who benefits? What nation was in danger, possibly, in the future around that region, you see? And look at the fallout, the blowback we've had. It's still going on and on and on and on and on. And it will continue, I think, for a long, long, long time, until there's nothing left of countries that they'll have to move into, basically. This is all planned to change the whole planet, you see. That's what it's for. Sad, isn't it? Very sad. But after this depressing talk, you can all go into what some good fantasy from Hollywood. Yeah. You can do that. Or, or you can play some virtual reality game and pretend you're some monster with a tail, you know. I mean, whatever turns you on there, folks. I mean, that's that's the world they give you, total fantasy. And believe you me, this fantasy, that kind of fantasy ain't going to help you. You know, ain't going to help you. But it sure renders so many people ineffective. And that's the purpose of it, isn't it? You keep looking for escapism, and there's no end, no end of escapism out there for you to delve into. Whatever your particular niches, they've got, they've got, they've got a room full of escapisms just for you, you see. Yep. I'll also put up tonight uh, Britain's global role, the British uh, one from the Ministry of Defence. Uh, with basically the same kind of stuff, yeah. which uh, it says that this year marks the seventy years on, on from which one from Winston Churchill's famous speech, the sinews of peace delivered in Fulton, Missouri, in March nineteen forty-six, where he talks about the special relationship. Maggie Thatcher used that all the time too. Our special relationship was all secretive, you see, and stuff like that. And so on and so on. But everything has got a much, much bigger story to it than the one we're, we're given here. Also, uh, I've got this one here. It's uh, China, how China's building the biggest commercial military empire in history. Well, all the same guys that run your countries run China too, folks. Uh, I don't think it's completely independent. Uh, powerful people and who own everything, who always look at frightening scenarios that may affect them, you see, and their power. Maybe, maybe even ten generations down the road, 
uh, they don't arise up unless they're unless you own them as well. Believe you me, and you don't give all your uh, manufacturing base to, to a potential enemy. That's common sense. And I also put up a couple other articles as well. And this one, it's awfully important, really, because um, you see, Britain before they had Hollywood and all that, they used to use the stage an awful lot. And during the Victorian era, lots of all propaganda went through the stage. You know, the officers heading off to Africa or somewhere, and and he's saying goodbye to to his uh, woman in the house because they're, they're all officers. They, they always made some officers, you see, but the common folk were just you know common folk even in the stage plays. But um, the strange thing too is you become a kind of sycophant. You want to the, the lower person wants to please the upper person and, and get patted on the head. You know, that's true, too. It's human nature with a lot of people. But anyway, as I say, the Victorian era used uh, poet laureates, you see, ones who, were, who were, were given charters by the queen or the king to be the official poet to the, the empire. And so we have this one here uh, by Alfred uh, Lord Tennyson. The poem Locksley Hall from the mid-1800s or so. And this is one that even President um, Truman used often in his speeches. He would take, he would read the last part of it often. He carried a piece in his pocket, and he'd read it uh, when he was talking to big crowds. So, if you think that this world empire idea uh, is just kind of recent, you see, I've said no. This even predates the, the underground stream that eventually came through into Cecil Rhodes and Lord Alfred Milner and in the Royal of International Affairs. So here's the part in this poem, it's quite a long poem, and this part to do with war and peace and all the rest of it and, and the ambition of where they wanted to take it all. It says, um, For I dipped into the future as far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world and all the wonder that could be. So the heavens filled with commerce, argosies of magic sails, pallets of the purple twilight dropping down with costly bales. Heard the heavens fill with shouting, and there rained a ghastly dew from the nation's airy navies grappling in the central blue. Far along the worldwide whisper of the south wind rushing warm, with the standards of the peoples plunging through the thunderstorm, till the war drum throbbed no longer and the battle flags were furled, in the Parliament of Man, the Federation of the World. Nick goes on after that too. But that part uh, was read by Truman and others as well as an ambition for the world empire. And those who bring on the wars and who plunder the world and, and gain the wealth of the plunder are the ones who always offer you the, the, this wonderful vision of peace, you see. Uh, in other words, the wars are all to bring peace. <laughs> It's quite clever, isn't it? But uh, again, remember, um, Tennyson also wrote The Charge of Light Brigade, where they tried to turn a catastrophe into like a, a heroic victory by having most of them killed, most of the, the particular cavalrymen killed, because of some foul-up in logistics and, and uh, plans and uh, orders, in fact. Uh, so even then, he was, he was a complete propagandist, of course, for royalty. Well, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. Yeah.